what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes, Pat. I can't help but notice you have a new puppy out there. I do have a new puppy. Have you thought about getting some expert advice on how to raise that puppy? Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just happens that we do have an expert as part of our sponsor group. Really? Yeah, Dan Croft Canine. Do they run puppy class? They run amazing puppy classes. What What on earth do they do there? They've got whole ranges of foundation for puppy school. So they're running a complete socialization package and they're doing a whole range of different levels for puppies. And that's what they really wanted to emphasize is that they are experts in puppy raising and training. Where are they experts in puppy raising and training? In Toronto, Canada. Whoa. So if you were in Toronto, Canada, yep. and you had a friend, a client, a relative, just anybody who was getting a puppy mm-hmm. and you wanted to set that puppy up for success, yep, you could probably send them to Dancroft, can I? If I was over in Toronto, Canada with my new little Rottweiler puppy, Mando, I would go over, and I'm, I swear this, I would go over and I would do the socialization program with them. Great I idea. love what they're doing. Have you seen this set up online? Oh, amazing. Fantastic. Amazing. They had a tire with a medicine ball with a pit bull doing a drop stay on top of it. My goodness. Amongst a dozen other dogs that were doing all similar things, like on BOSU balls and all sorts of things. My goodness. It was great. Fantastic. Unbelievable. Yeah. Hey, speaking of your puppy, mm-hmm. what's going on with his nutrition? Couldn't go past canine tuticles. Supplemented up. Supplemented up to the help. My goodness. Yeah. So he should have arms like Arnold Schwarzenegger by the time we're finished. Where did you get those canineceuticals from? From Narelle Cook. Narelle Cook. Yeah. How, do you, how do you know her? <laughs> <laughs> Funny that she's got the same last name as me. Yeah. The supplier is very local. Absolutely. Canineceuticals, but Can- legit, it's probably the best supplements available. Best for supplements available, human grade, gone through the absolute rigorous testing program. I mean, Narelle's got stat sheets on it and everything like that on demand, so... People want to know what they're actually putting into their dog's body supplement-wise. They can reach out to her and she's got all the facts and figures before she even put it down as a physical product. She spent years and years researching it before it was actually come to market. So great stuff. Yes, the puppy's definitely on it. All our dogs are on it. And there's a shit ton of people around Australia and New Zealand who are taking caninecuticals and the feedback is astronomical. Amazing. Yep. Do you plan on taking Mando on your motorbike? If I did, you know who I'd have to go to, don't you? You'd have to get one of those Rowdy Hound boxes. Rowdy Hound dog kennels. Yeah. From Horny George. George Kittridge himself. You'd have to get one of those Rowdy Hound dog kennels to go on the back of your motorbike. How good is his social media? It's the best. Yeah. I love watching the dogs cruise around motorbikes. I think it's one of the coolest things ever. They've got their little doggles on. Yeah. You know, like we talk about living the best life. Well, for people who are motorcyclists, they can do both. I'm serious about thinking about getting one, but then I've got to train a I, – I don't know if having a Rottweiler on the back of a bike is going to be a great <laughs> idea. Your sport but, bike. <laughs> but, well, uh, I think you should do it. Maybe one day when I've got a smaller mid-sized dog, uh, I would get a Rowdy Hound dog kennel and mm. I could travel around. So I could not only enjoy the company of my dog, which hundreds of people seem to be doing across the United States of America, and I could motorcycle at the same time. So Amazing. two things that are very dear to my heart coming together. All right. This ad's going on for a long time. Mm. I need to get out of here and go and train some dogs. Yep. But do you know where I got the equipment that I'm going to use to train those dogs? The goat. 
the goat. The Billy Goat's gruff. Mine's a wiener. <laughs> <laughs> the wiener himself. Ironswick <laughs> dog quip. Yeah. If you're not buying all your dog training gear from them, yep. I don't know where you're fucking getting it from. Well, if not from Furman, Ironswick dog quip, the Irons a wiener. How the hell does he sell anything being such a grumpy old bastard? He's online now. He's got a website. That's you right. Can, they don't have to deal with him. You correct. can actually buy things <laughs> off the website. You can actually do it now. Yep. Ironswickdogquip.com.au yep. or just .com. Probably one of them. I don't it's know. One of them. It just, we'll put try it, in the it show out. Notes. Yeah, you yeah. you click. You'll find a link. You buy some stuff. <laughs> Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host Glenn Cook. Do you know one of my favourite sayings? What is it, sir? Get a dog up here. <laughs> okay. I thought I'd just start the show with a bit of a it's gag a, reel. A, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Why is that your favourite saying? It's very ochre. And for those in the United States, ochre is very Australiana. It's like bogan. Yeah, bogan Australiana. Yeah. Somebody said it to me the other day. I kind of thought, I actually like that saying. It makes me laugh. If I ever see a real, like a bogan Aussie, you're going, ah, get a dog up, you mate. It always makes me laugh. It what puts a it, smile. What does it mean, really? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> you just I, said it. You're saying it. You don't know what it means. I don't. Well, I, it obviously means get a dog up here, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, I'm now, now I'm going to have to look it up on the Urban Dictionary to find out the real meaning of get a dog up here. Yeah, it's, it's actually weird, get a big brown dog up here. I feel uh, like you might be saying something really offensive without knowing it. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I was called something offensive the other day. Really? Yeah, I was called a podcast bro. Why is that offensive? Apparently it's a term, it's an offensive term. I wore it. I was like, yeah, I'm on a podcast. I, I do a podcast. And I was like, what is a podcast, bro? And they were like, for starters, it's someone that has a podcast. I was like, yep, I have, yep. have that. Oh, I'm on too. And then it was uh, listens to Joe Rogan. I was like, I was just listening to Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of where the conversation ended. Oh, how offensive. You, I can see you shattered by it. Yeah. Did but, you have to go into a safe space? And uh, No, it okay. was it was in jest. But nothing's more podcast, bro, than our new mixer. Oh, yeah. It has funny voices. That our Patreons bought for us. Yeah, so you guys paid for the ability for us to talk like this. It's amazing. I just can't believe it. <laughs> the funny thing is people probably can't tell the difference between our voices. But I'm sure they can. It's unbelievable that this actually does it in real time. Yeah. Well, okay, I better switch it back. <laughs> For anyone that's still listening. Yeah. Oh, what a way to start the show. Intro. This is the worst <laughs> intro to any podcast ever. Especially one with such a serious topic. It is. It's a serious mm. topic. We're going to yes. hit it. All right. Yep. So this came in the discussion group. Mm-hmm. Birdie's tagged in it, but at short notice we're recording this. So you're just getting two dickheads, not Birdie. And hopefully maybe we can organize with Birdie to come in and actually elaborate. Mm. We can give our opinion and then Birdie and then can And we can do the psychological version. Yeah. Yeah. So- says, Pat, Glenn, and Bertie, I have a request for an episode, if it's possible, about family dynamics and how that plays into our dog passions and careers. The context, my husband is very much not a dog person. My entire life revolves around them. He recently agreed to listen to a dog podcast episode of my choice, which sounds a bit fun, but is a lot of pressure. Well, don't get him to listen to the intro of this one because it's fucking (laughs) nonsense. Where's your grit? Where's your spunk? (laughs) If I could choose just one. It just got me thinking about how thrilled I was about that offer. It feels like a big deal. 
even though it's just a silly thing. I'd love for him to understand my passion just a bit. I thought it might be cool if the episode I present to him could be geared towards him in a way. My friends in other industries, particularly artists, have talked about how their relationships and passions often feel at odds. In many ways, our committed relationship gets in the way of our passions and vice versa. It's often nothing personal, but it is reality. Recently, Pat talked about how his experience of travel is different now that he has a family, with similar mentions sprinkled throughout the entire podcast. Our priorities are always shifting. I'd love to hear about how other people in our industry are navigating this and what experiences they are having. If we could speak directly to those important people in our lives to help them understand us and our passions for dogs, what would we say to them? How can we achieve the best balance, especially while in the throes of life, which often includes business ownership? For those of you in this discussion group reading, I'd love to hear your experiences and thoughts on this. Having read this out loud and realizing that this is in a closed group, I will ask that maybe you should beep out or Fenton her name as I've said it. Okay. Uh, so you've probably heard that, <laughs> that mm. beeping and realized that I've just thought maybe we should say it because it's a personal post in a closed group. Mm -hmm. With several thousands of yeah, people. Yeah, with 8,000 other people, but mm. perhaps not her partner. Okay. Or, or yep. anyone that okay. knows him. Yep. Fair enough. Good point. Good point. So- yeah, and then there's like 44 comments here of people giving advice and agreeing to certain parts of it and uh, mm. some people giving good advice, uh, some people empathizing and other people saying, yes, I want that episode to go ahead. Yes, which is why you and I looked at it and thought there is a good discussion around that. For sure. Probably several, as mm -hmm. we said. I think you and I probably just ripping the Band-Aid off, mm -hmm. talking about our own vested interests because in ways we're both obsessive people. Mm-hmm. I've said in a few podcasts that I'm very cautious of being over-obsessive about things because I realise how monstrous it can become. Mm -hmm. I've used my example of it's not only dog training but anything that you sort of develop a heavy vested interest in, and I'll use World of Warcraft, and it was something which totally consumed me for a very long period of time and I realised I'm literally not seeing sunlight anymore. Mm. I'm running home kicking the door open. I'm finding reasons to be sick from work so I can stay home and play World of Warcraft because I was obsessed about gearing up my soldier person that I was creating. Mm -hmm. Then I also developed a network of friends online, you know, like people that I was constantly talking to. And while we were just going along helping each other get gear and do menial tasks on this thing, you, you're constantly getting a dopamine fix. And mm -hmm. this is it's designed to be like gambling. It's gambling for children. Mm -hmm. And that very much is in that system of doing it. But I was shutting people out of my life. My virtual friends became my close friends and my real friends, lifelong friends, were becoming people that were annoying me. Yeah, pains in the ass yeah. getting in the way. Yeah, they were getting in my way. And I realized not immediately, like it took time, you know, because of those high value reinforcers that you're getting all the time. But after a period of time, I realized I'm not doing anything. Mm. I don't know why it sort of sparked on me one day because I was really blissfully ignorant and just being heavily absorbed in this game. For the lady who put this post up, she might be hearing this and going, you're not selling my, <laughs> my point here. I'm going to get around to it. What I realized was that I was in a situation where I was doing exactly what I ask other people not to do, and that's heavily unbalancing yourself. Mm. I realized that I was on a point of tipping the scales 
to such a hard degree. This was the beginning and and the decline of my first marriage. You know, I've been married before. I'm sure I've mentioned that before. Mm -hmm. Been married before. Nice girl, not a malicious person or anything like that. It ended because we became different people. We were different than the people who fell in love to begin with. Mm -hmm. Happens in life, marriages, relationships, businesses, everything. It just Mm -hmm. happens. And to a degree it was because I was a very neglecting person because I was obsessive about things like, World of Warcraft, dog training, these things became very unbalanced for me. I'm sort of giving the end at the start, but we can still talk about it and we'll cross over to you in a second. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I found was human beings can become extremely obsessive to a point where they tip the scale right on the edge and they don't realize they're doing it because they're having such a good time when they're doing it. But When you're in relationships with other people, effective relationships, businessships or whatever like that, you've got to be somewhat considerate to the needs of the other people as well and find ways to still include them because otherwise you will find ways to shut them out. You'll close them out entirely. You'll literally build a wall around them so they can't escape for it or you'll build a wall around yourself that they can't penetrate. Mm. They just can't get through to you anymore. They have nothing in common with you. You literally will finish your relationship if you don't start doing more healthy things to say, I love my dog training or I love my World of Warcraft or I love my motorbiking or guitaring or whatever it is that you like doing. But it still needs to be a healthy balance for the people that still and are mattering in your life. Otherwise, you will find a reason to shut them out. Mm. And as we said before, you made a good point, which I totally concur with they become a nuisance to you. They don't share your values, your thoughts, your passions, your feelings anymore. And then you'll find a way to become estranged to each other. I remember when my first marriage did break up, I went and saw a psychologist because I was very unhappy with where things were going. And I blamed myself a lot for it because I played my part. Mm -hmm. We both played a part in it, but I played a heavy role in it too. But I wanted to see this person just to get myself back on track. It was a health check basically. Mm -hmm. Very good guy. We chatted several times and he gave me one really good piece of advice where he said, healthy marriages of all type or healthy relationships of all type are not ones where people are completely parallel to each other all the time or completely estranged to each other all the time. He said, it's kind of like, it's a shape where you travel together, then you go out and then you come back together and you travel together for a period of time and then you come back out. Like you both have needs and things that fulfill you in your own life, vested interests in your own life that you don't have to be a part of with each other. It's kind of like, let's say, for example, it's a male-female relationship where the the males want to go and hang with the boys for a period of time Mm -hmm. and go and do boy things and Mm -hmm. the girls want to go and do girl things, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, that can happen in any sort of combination of marriage or relationship or whatever it is, but people just sort of think, I just want to go off and do things with my friends. I don't Mm -hmm. want to have my partner hanging off my back. It's not that you're going off to cheat or do anything nefarious. It's just that you want to go and do dicky things with your friends. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's healthy. That's how it should be. Because being with each other and, you know, having one partner completely obsessed with the other partner is not, in my opinion, I'm not talking as a professional counsellor, and this is where Bertie would be better off suited to talk about this part of it, but In the knowledge that I have in the years that I've been on the planet, I have been with partners where I've obsessed over them or they've obsessed over me and it never worked. For me, it didn't. It just didn't work. It became something that I I thought this is a job, it's not a relationship. You become sort of like a a passenger Mm -hmm. rather than a contributor Mm -hmm. 
And that's how I felt in some of those relationships. And they become menial after a period of time. Like you just realize, I don't really like this person. I don't like, well, it's not the person. It's just some of the traits and the behaviors. I don't like them anymore. Mm. Getting back to this point where I have developed obsessions over training and so forth, Narelle and I met through training. She came down to my training center. We met through training. She's been actively involved in dogs. She's done NDTF course. She's worked in the industry. She's been a professional trainer for a period of time. So she's thrown her head in that ring, but found it's not for me. Now, I didn't begrudge her for it. In one way or another, she still kept her hand very much in the dog industry. And we're different people in a lot of ways. Like Narelle's a high-level intellectual, where I'm not. Narelle's very, very organized and structured, where I'm not. She's order and I'm chaos. And we work well together, but we still find time to contribute and talk to each other. And there's probably times where Narelle would wish that I would talk to her more and stuff like that when she sees me getting angry or frustrated with things. There's been times where I've, not in a bad way, but I've erupted about something which has upset me. And Narelle goes, well, I'd rather you told me leading up to this rather than just tell me when it's become unmanageable and you're really upset about things like that. And I've gone away and thought, she's right. Mm. You know, she is right about that conversation. I should be talking to her along the way and sharing my thoughts and feelings because that's a part of being balanced in a relationship. So in these relationships where people are very heavily invested in dogs and very enthusiastic about them and so forth, that's great and it's wonderful and I encourage people to be involved in their dogs and learn as much as they possibly can. But you've got to still remember, like if you're involved in a family situation, your kids and your husband or your your wife and your kids or whatever combination again that you're in, they're not an annoyance. They're somebody that's stuck by you thick and thin. And somehow you've just got to find a time to say, okay, I really am enthusiastic from the dogs, but I'm just going to take a little break and we're going to have some family time. Mm. Much like what you and Jane do with the boys. Mm. You know, there's times where you guys just go and do family things and go and trek around Sydney or go and do fun things with the boys. Mm -hmm. And then you get back into your dog training or you're now into your video work. Mm. Anyway, I've rambled on long enough. Probably time for you to throw your hat in the ring. It's a super interesting conversation and it is Mm. like, I can really only give my personal experience. I don't know that my personal experience is a shimmering light of example, but it works for me Mm. and and it works for my family. And and I think it does. I, I, we have never, discussed it directly, but I think what we do works for us. To sort of give a little bit of history, I met Jane in 2000. Mm. We were just in the same sort of circle of friends. We didn't start dating until 2005, but I joined the army in 2003. I was already in the army when we started dating. And so there's the old joke of like, you joined us, we didn't join you. Yeah. <laughs> because it's not like we were already in a relationship. I was already in the army. Mm. And she was always super supportive, obviously was never happy that I deployed multiple times, but it is what it is. That's the job. Mm. And it was never like she ever specifically asked me not to or, or anything like that. She's just worried and concerned. Yeah, and, of know, course. I mean, like, you're going into dangerous territory yeah, exactly. and doing dangerous things. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, it was never a big deal. Like I used to travel a lot with army that wasn't deployments, but then it was the, the risk factor of, yeah, anything can happen on deployments. People get killed all the time. Mm. Anyway, I didn't really get into dog training. I started sort of showing a pretty strong interest in about 2008 and started taking it really, really seriously in probably 2011, right? That's the timeline for me. And between sort of 2008 and 11 was stuffing around, but then in 2011 is when I got my first Mally and like really ramped things up. So Jane has never really been into dog training beyond having a pet. And actually our dog before I was into training was hers. We got him together 
it was when we first moved in together, but I was gone like a minimum of eight months of the year. I was not in Australia or not at home. And so he was her dog. He really, if you were to ask him, Ernie was his name. If you were to ask him, he definitely felt as though he was her dog. Mm. And he's the last dog that has felt that way, right? Like every dog since would definitely identify as being my dog. And that's sort of the way it is. And Jane's not into working dogs or, you know, she loves dogs. She's good with them, but is really just a normal pet dog owning person. And I think you're spot on when you say that like people change quite a lot. Mm. You know, I got some advice one time from a, a guy I was in the army with about there's kind of three pillars to the self. I think that this applies to any gender, but he was talking specifically about men. That was a conversation about that, but I don't think that's relevant. He said that there's three things that are important and it's important that it is three things because you think of a three-legged stool, those three legs can be slightly out of alignment and it's still okay. Mm. If they get way out of alignment, it's a big problem. It will topple over eventually. But you think of a four-legged table, if just one of those legs isn't correct, it causes a big issue. Yep. But a three-legged one, it can manage uneven for a while, though you, you want you do want it even. And you see, what those three things are is your family first, right? That's something that has to occupy a big chunk of your time. The second is your work. I knew him through work. He's like, this is our job. This is an important part of who we are. And it, it's a big chunk of our identity. And he said, the third thing is you have to have something that's yours and it's not theirs. And I thought that was really interesting. And it's something that I've kind of carried. I think that that's been helpful for me in my relationships. Mm. And at the time I have my family, which at the time was just Jane, my broader family is in like, I have, you know, I have mom and dad, brothers and sisters and all that kind of thing. But like the, you know, my partner that I live with, I'm talking about. Then I had my work of being in the army and I had the thing that was for me, which was training dogs. That was my hobby. That was mm. what I did. Cause it wasn't a part of my army life until much later in my army career. Right. Dogs didn't come in, in my unit and it only started being raised in like 2012. And so it wasn't a part of my like real army life until, you know, after that. So those two pillars, though, have changed for me quite a lot. Those, those remaining two pillars, what is my work and what is my hobby, has changed quite a lot. Mm. But what I think hasn't changed is that I tend not to try and in blur the lines on the two, but it does happen. But where I've been successful about that is not trying to blur in the family side of it too much. There are times when I look at, say, Sean and Janet Edwards, for example, right, and I look at a pair of dog trainers that live, work, are together and I see how exceptional they are and they would be exceptional individually, mm. but it's not by accident that Janet is so successful with her dogs because she's an exceptional handler that lives with an exceptional decoy, mm. right? Like yeah. that's not by accident that she does <laughs> so well is because they've got all the bases covered. Mm. And there's times for sure that I look at that and I think, fuck, that would be cool, right? Like, and I wish that Jane was into that, but she's not. And to try and get her into that, she would not be the person I married. That's right. right? And so I think that every time that that thought sort of bubbles up within me, and it's not often, it's not often at all, but every time I think, geez, I wish I, like, I could do some help here, I think to try and resent her for not even realizing that I'm looking for help, because I've never really directly asked her, and she would do anything asked of her. There's been a couple of times with like I've had a puppy in the house and I've like had to work some grip stuff and I can't do it on the back tie and I'll ask her to handle the dog for me and she'll do exactly what I say. Like she'll help me out wherever I want, but she's not into it. Like there's no, there's no fire. 
Yeah, she's yeah. just she's just doing me a favor at the mm. time. She's an artist. In the same way, when she's doing artworks and she says, "Can you move the light for me over here?" I'll happily move the light, but I'm not into the process, right? Mm. Like I just know. I'm I mean, a, if she said, "Help," you know, can you come and do some shading for me? You'd think, oh, that got pretty boring yeah, quickly, right? Yeah. Exactly. Mm. So I think for me, that's been a big part of you know staying healthy in that space. But I think thinking of where things get messy especially in the dog training industry is I think that, and we've discussed this many times, but within those three pillars, I think that a lot of dog trainers end up with two, just two pillars Mm. and they have family and their work becomes their hobby as well. Again, it's, it's advice that I got in another realm, but I think that it applies, you know, really directly and closely to this was I did a course, it's called the warrior scholar project. And I did it at Yale. They do it at a lot of different universities. Now I haven't kept stayed up to date with it, but when I did it, it was a long time ago and you do a, like a, a, a chunk of a semester at one of these uh, universities. And the idea of it is that they teach you how to academic learning basically, and academic writing and that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. because a lot of what they identified actually, Yao was very interesting the way they identified this because a guy from my unit, he left the army just normal. He went to Sydney uni for a little while. He got a academic record, which he then used to apply to go to Yale and he got a scholarship there and actually, you know, graduated from Yale. What do they call it? Sooner come liar, whatever, like top of the class. But what they loved about having him in the class and they wanted more of, and a lot of the Ivy league schools in the States realized how beneficial this was, was having adult veterans in the classes because a lot of the kids that go to those schools are the smartest person they have ever engaged with in their life. Mm. But when they go to that school, they're in a room full of super smart people and they have never been the average. A lot of them have never in their life fit within the mean Mm. of intelligence within a room. They have always been at the peak and they don't ask questions and they don't, if they get lost within a lecture because it's at the very highest level of intelligence, they just sit there and smile and they will not, in, they will not expose themselves as not knowing what's going on. Mm. And what they found with my friend there, you know, in classic army guy style would just mid sentence would just be like, hang on, hang on, stop. I'm lost. And what they saw in the class was a bunch of kids like, oh, thank God, because Relief. everyone was mm. lost, yep. but no one was willing to say it. Yep. So anyway- One of the things that that I learned on that course, I digress, I'm back to my story, was they said, when you leave the army, it was for, their intention was for people transitioning. And I did it just after I broke my back because it was like, you're going at some point. Well, they said, your military background has to be an interesting part of your story. It can't be the whole story. And where I've, you know, applied that is that me as a dog trainer, that has to be an interesting part of my life, but that can't be my whole life. And I think that where people have issues with dog training as a hobby and a job and a a passion causing negative impact on their life is when it becomes their whole life and they have nothing else. And the people that the only people that they interact with are within the dog community. And some of those people are then the same, right? And I think that it can be an all consuming industry and people can be very, you can develop a very tight knit group, but there's ebbs and flows to that. And if that group is all that you have and when you no longer have it, and there's lots of reasons why you could no longer have it, right? Like from malicious reasons of people to just circumstance. There's so many reasons why you could fall out of the click that you're in in dog training. If that's all you have, the loss of that is catastrophic slash devastating. Mm. And so I think that those three pillars is what leads to a happy life. And I think that 
family is a big part of it. And if you don't have a family, if you're not married, whatever, like you consider that friends who are your friends of the past. and your rocks. Yeah, your mm. real friends, right? Yeah. Yep. And then you have your work that is, you know, whatever it is that drives you forward and pays your bills and that kind of stuff because that's that's eight hours of your day, most people, right? Like that's a third of your day. And then the other is your hobby. And for me, what I found was – I was in the army. That was my work. And that's more than eight hours, but that's, you know, there's a lot of identification in that, especially in my old job. And I I don't know if we've gone into much detail of it, but but like when I realized that I had to leave the army, when I broke my back, when I first, when I actually, it took me a long time to actually understand that I was leaving. Like I was like, ah, no, like I'm injured. This will be fine. And it wasn't until I went and saw this surgeon, I was looking for, you know, all kinds of different things. I went and saw this surgeon and he was like, there is something we can do. Like I'd seen a few and they all just wanted to fuse my back. And this other guy was like, nah, there's this surgery we can do. Like we can do, it's this pin and we can put it back together in a certain way. And he told me, he goes, it'll be more painful. Guarantee you'll be more pain and you'll have to wear a back brace for probably 12 months. The recovery is ridiculous. You'll be in more pain for the rest of your life, but it will hold. Like the way that we put these pins in, like your spine will be rigid again. It'll work. And I was like, oh, let's do it. Like sign me up. And he was like, I really want to know why you do this. Cause typically we only do this to athletes who need to get back to their sport. And I was like, Oh, I want to deploy again. Like I want to get back on the tools. And this motherfucker laughed in my face <laughs> said, mate, you are never deploying again. No one is ever going to sign off on that. He said, even if I do this surgery, there's no way I'm medically upgrading you. And I was like, Oh, okay, well then I'm not doing this fucking surgery. But that for me was a day. Like I still remember sitting in the car that day driving home thinking like, Oh fuck, I'm leaving the army. Mm. And I have no other plans in my life, right? So there's a lot of sort of who I am without, who who am I without that? Without having that piece of me, I just lost the whole pillar. Mm. And at that time I had dog training as a hobby and I had really strong family. And it's not fair for me to say, because I, I, other people in my family listen, like it, my family is more than just Jane. I have a really tight, my immediate family, my parents, my brothers and sisters, we're all very close. Mm. So I was like, okay, I just lost an entire pillar of of myself. I don't know who I am without that. And it took me a long time to figure out what the, who the fuck I am. And what I realized was like, I can get this other pillar that is my dog training one. And I can turn that into my work one. And I can now fill the hobby one and I can do other stuff. And this is one of the reasons why it's taken me a long time to sort of, you know, cause I'm in this throes of a sort of career change at the moment in a way and what I've had is multiple hobbies. And and me and you are so similar in that, yeah, we both will obsess over we're obsessive <laughs> researchers. And, you know, when we're doing something, we don't fuck around. We do it a hundred percent. We just throw everything at it. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it's all we can think of. It's all we can do. Yep. We'll be sending each other like, oh, have you seen this thing? You know, like I might say to you something like, oh, have you seen this, you know, new microphone, whatever. And then eight hours later, you're a fucking expert on that microphone. <laughs> like you can teach a masterclass on it, right? Like it's, it's crazy. It's, it's how we both work. Yeah. Yep. But when you take sort of a 50,000 foot view, our hobby is probably research, right? mm. but then I get into things and, and, you know, for 12 months, I was obsessed with throwing kettlebells around and, and then that's in my Rolodex of things that I can do. Mm. And it was when I started making like last year, when I started making more, a bit better content than I had in the past, that I had the same feeling. I was like, Hmm, this is not only going to stick as a hobby, but I think this is going to become one of the pillars and it might not be the hobby one, right? It's a, like I it's think- It's a jobby. Yeah. I think that this <laughs> is going to take up that space. Yep. But all of that has been independent of my family. Now I have mm. the support of my family in the in regards to that 
I don't take away from my pillar of time from them in order to fill any one of those other things. And if I do, it's only for a period and I have to maintain that balance. I have to think of it, like genuinely think of it as pillars holding up a stool, a three-legged stool. Mm. And like it can be it can be off just a little bit for a short period of time and it's no big deal. That That's fine. But when you start sort of cutting one away, things go on a slant and you have to put in the fucking time and you have to put in the effort to add back to that pillar. And I think like, I don't know whether this is good advice and I don't know whether it, you know, answers the question because I know that you're reading the comments. Most people are like, how do I get my partner into the dog training side of it? And how do I make them understand that this is my passion and how do I get them as, as obsessed with it as I am? And my answer is you shouldn't. You won't. You, you won't. Yeah, that's mm. it. And I think that it's fine to do that. And I think that, you know, you should have your own things. Mm. I think that you and your partner should have separate hobbies. I think that you should have time apart. If you can pull it off that you do it all together, fucking great, right? Yeah. And, and power too, if that's how it works out. If your hobby is the same and your work is the same and you live together, great. Like fucking good for you. Like I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But if it's not, it's not the end of the world. And I think that you just have to sort of find a person that can fulfill the person that you can have an emotional connection about your hobbies with. So in that space, or your passion, in that space, that's you have been that for me, right? So like when I want to, you know, when I'm sort of talking dogs and I want to, you know, get into the deep conversation, we're not rolling over in bed and having that conversation together <laughs> like you would like with your partner, but mm. we're doing it and, and we chose to do it into microphones so that thousands of people can listen. But that's where I, I fulfill that need with someone else. And I get that emotional connection on my passion with you and with others. That's what, that's mm. the role jazz feels for me as well. You know, like I need a training partner that's as, as eager and it has the time. And I'm the one that's not being good to her currently. She's got more time to train than I'm giving with the latest round of puppies that we have. Mm. But it's when you need someone that's going to help you and is your partner in that space, it doesn't have to be your actual wife, husband, whatever, right? It doesn't need to be that person. Mm. Just If you need a person that you can enjoy your passions with, that doesn't need to be someone that you're also in like a sexual relationship with. I think that that's where people sort of fuck themselves up and like they can't silo these things and mm. go, this is the pillar of family and that kind of relationship. And this is the pillar of my hobby. And I enjoy these things. And it's for me, it's not for anybody else, but it's for me. And this is my work. And this is, you know, this is what I do. And, and as I say, I think there's a couple pieces to it is that sometimes in the dog training space, the hobby part and the work part, you end up with just one pillar there mm. instead of two. And I think if that's the case, you need a new hobby. You need something else. You need something else that you're also involved in. And I think that most of the people that you see, say taking the dog training space, there's a lot of like the very high-end dog trainers, you know, the world-famous dog trainers that – actually are also really good at something else and you don't know about it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like Michael Ellis is right into pigeons. He talks about it if you draw it out of him, but it's, he's, he's as good as he is with dolls, with pigeons. But but that's his side hustle. That's his thing. That's mm. his thing. Yeah. That's for him. Mm. You look at Bart, for example. Bart loves his gadgets. That's why he's building the fucking, the like the e-collars have gone the way it is, is because he's mad into gadgetry and mm. that kind of shit. He loves that shit. And so he's like, okay, that's his passion here. And his job is training people in dog training, like which is a continued passion of his. But like it's another thing that he does that he's deep into. Yep. And I think everybody that is really successful has the same. And what you see, I'm not in the cult, 
But jujitsu is a big one for a lot of people as well. Like that's their passion. That's where they go. That's their hobby. And it's inevitable. You get to the certain belt level and now that's your job, right? You mm. become a teacher or whatever. And now you see those people need a new hobby. Jay Jack's your fucking example of that. So you look at say Ivan Balabanov. he's into jujitsu. I think he's a purple belt or whatever, but then it goes the other way. Jay is a black belt, has been for a long time and dogs is his sort of side passion away from that. So, and he has tight family units. So mm. I think that's where it is. You've got to have those three things. And I think that if you've created all of those things to be all the, like those three pillars have become one, that's totally fine. It can be so long as that happened organically and you didn't force it to happen because if you forced it to come together, it'll fall apart eventually. Mm. Sage advice, really good advice. I think you nailed it in a lot of aspects there because I think we are very triadic in the way we do things. An organization that i belong to, which I was obsessed and actively involved in in Melbourne, I remember having a discussion with the guys one night and they wanted me to get involved in this. It was some event and they wanted me to get involved in it. And they said to me, we're going to do this next Friday. And I said, oh, I can't, I've got to do something with the wife. They said, no, that's fine. I thought they were going to be really upset with me because they wanted me to get involved and they were really building me up to do it. And I said, look, you know, I'm sorry guys, but I promised I would. They said, don't be sorry. They sat me down and said, here is the success to life. And it's very similar to what you just said before. And it jogged my memory when you said it. They said life, wife, and comfort. Mm -hmm. And that's the order of life. They said the reason we think it's like that is because if you're not healthy, like your life, if you're not in a healthy position, you it's like self-rescue. You can't rescue other people unless you're in a safe position to do so yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people say family first. You can't look after family unless you're in a good, healthy position because people say, oh, I always put my family first before myself. Well, if you're dead, you're fucked. Yeah, yeah. And so are your family effectively yeah. in, to a large degree. So you have to be healthy and in a good position, then your family, and then the comforts of life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like a lot of people – they kind of get obsessed with work. They get obsessed with making money. That becomes a big obsession to some people. But the reason they did all this to begin with was to comfort their family, you know, like to be able to provide for their family. But then some people don't realize that the reason their kids are growing up unbalanced, problematic with learning disorders and all sorts of things is because they've been abandoned by a major parent in their life. Like their parent is not there. Mm. Now, I've got a bit of a dog in that race because I came from a broken marriage and I had a problematic father figure that was in my life for a period of time. And I know how that fucks you up as a kid. It gave me problems, you know, like I had problems because of it, had things that I had to address throughout my life. Not ashamed of it. It's just a fact, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm one of billions of people around the world who have had things like that happen to them. And it doesn't mean I didn't have good times in my life. Like I did, I had good times and I had bad times. And I mean, even people that, have come from very affluent families, they've had exactly the same thing with a neglectful parent who's gone off to make billions of dollars and basically looks at the family like, you're in my way. You have to step off because I need to do crazy hours every day and coming home and doing the family thing and taking the kids out on the weekend is not what we do. We get nannies to go and do that. So strangers raise their children. You know, they become the family to the kids and so forth. Mm. There's lots of combinations where things can go askew if they're not corrected and put into proper balance again. And this is why I'm so favorable and always have been on balance in life. Human beings characteristically have traits that keep unbalancing things. We keep trying to take everything, you know, or, or put more food on our plate than what we need to eat all the time. And I'm talking as a metaphor about life. 
that's a really interesting puzzle because most of nature doesn't do that. Most of nature is always looking to correct itself and and reset balance, except for human beings. Mm. We get very destructive and very obsessive about things. I think sometimes we don't realize we've gone so far past the point of why we got into this that instead of creating something behind us, we look back and there's carnage. There's the possibility of creativity in front of us, but we're leaving a trail of destruction behind us. Mm. Now, you might not think that to yourself and you might not think, well, that's not what it's occurring to me because I'm seeing this beautiful vision unfold and all these things happen. But I know dog training people who have abandoned their family and gone off and had sexual relationships with other people in the dog training industry because they found I've got more in common with this person, but then realize now I don't like this person because we're competing against each other. And, you know, so there is sometimes the grass isn't always greener on the other side. The lady who put this together, she might be thinking, now I'm definitely not going to let my husband live in this. And that might not necessarily be, you know, again, it's not always about nefarious things that happen because there are a multitude of combination of things that can happen. All I'm trying to suggest, and again, through my own mistakes and my own experiences, is finding some form of balance and inclusion and being considerate. Mm. I think that is some of the most helpful advice I can give other people. But when you're young and you're impulsive and you're full of energy and your hormones are, not so much your hormones, but your passions are racing, you know, like you think this is the right thing to do at the time. And who am I to say it's not? I don't know some of the people who listen to this show. I've never met them before in my life. I don't know what's going to be right for you in your life. Sometimes people have got partners that are not right for their life. You started off and you realize quickly that you don't really share many things in common, but sometimes people are, are too scared to say I'm stuck in this relationship mm. where sometimes I need to look at it and say, and, and again, I'm not a guidance counselor. So I need to put a caveat point right here that I'm not saying this as part of, I'm telling you how to have a relationship in your life, but there are literally people that I know who are in relationships who shouldn't be in relationships together because they're both wanting to get out of it, but nobody, it's like your, you said before with your friend who said, hang on, hang on, I'm lost. And everyone else going, oh, thank God somebody said it. Mm. Sometimes you have to have a, an in-house discussion with yourselves and going, are we right for each other? Mm. Do we need a course correction? Do we need to spice things up? What do we need to do? Do we need to go and see someone like Bertie or go and, you know, pour our hearts out and talk about this? Because sometimes when you become that obsessed with things, and you've mentioned this before, which I think is really sage advice, and I've learned something about myself from listening to you having a conversation about this. Sometimes you're creating these obsessions in your life because you're running away from something else mm. and you're, you know, like you're leaving. Distracting yourself. You're distracting yourself. Yeah, you're right. And there have been times where my own unhappiness is because I've been so unhappy about something in the past that I've run head first into something else because I'm thinking this is taking my mind off it. Mm. It's stopping me from feeling the pain and I'm feeling forms of elation in other areas. So I need to absorb myself in this area because what's behind me is hurtful and I need to keep moving from it because if I stop, it'll catch up on me. Yeah. It's dark, but <laughs> one, of the, one of the sort of saddest, funniest things one of my friends ever said, we were at a bar one day and we were all sort of catching up. And I've known this guy since we were kids. We joined the army together and he stayed in a little bit longer than me, but got out and he had all these different things going on. And this guy, this is the guy I think who did nine combat deployments, I think, right? Like mm. he'd spent a lot of time in a lot of gunfights and he had all these different things and he was volunteering at the surf lifesaving and all this kind of stuff. And I said, man you are busy. And he goes, you have to stay busy or else the demons catch you. Mm. <laughs> I was like, what? 
And he looked at me and he was kind of saying to Jess, he goes, if I stop, the demons will catch up with me. So I'm never allowed to stop. And I was like, oh. Yeah, he's not yeah. joking. <laughs> no. Yeah. Like he said it in a funny way, but he, I was like, oh, I get it. Mm. It's, you do have to stay busy. Have you ever seen that movie? It's like this spectre that it doesn't run. It just walks at a gradual pace. And you literally have to change, like get somebody to take on the burden of this thing coming after them. Mm. Like it's some ritual that happens. But once this Wraith or Spectre kills that person, I think it's called It Comes or something like that. It's a weird title. But it's a female ghoul or something like that. Mm. And it just keeps – it never runs. It just walks. And it can walk under the ocean and just – travel continents and something like that, but it always catches up to you. It's kind of like a metaphor, like your past will always catch up with you. Yeah. Once it devours that person, it comes back onto you because you're the the last one behind it. So you always need to free yourself of this problem by getting somebody else to take on the burden. Yeah. I remember watching that movie and I thought, fuck, that's clever. Yeah. Because that happens to a lot of people. They have to exchange their issue to somebody else or get somebody to take on the burden because there's past trying to catch up with you. It's like the spider. You know about the spider, right? Is that the... You know that there's a spider that was born and has been hunting you since the day it was born? No, I did not. Everybody has a spider that is born and hunts them and it will find you at some point and it will bite you and it will kill you. But it can only bite you if you observe it. So don't ever look at it. <laughs> That's dark. <laughs> Someone said that to me once. It's the scariest thing I've ever fucking heard. You know, Zoe Needy is going to be shitting for when she hears that. She is an absolute. <laughs> the scariest thing ever. If you look at it, it will bite you. It's been hunting you from the day of its birth. It's yep. been looking for you. It will find you, but it can't bite you until you look at it. That's fucked up. <laughs> Hey, just off topic. Yeah. You saw Zoe Needy got tuned up a while ago at work. She was getting a dog out. Oh, you haven't seen? No. She put it on social media, so I'm not telling it as a no, – Yeah, she was she was taking a dog out of a kennel and it fucking tuned her up. Oh, no. She was very lucky that she managed it so well and Janet came and assisted her very quickly. But, yeah, she got tailed up. Yeah. Yeah. Happens. So, it, well, you can't work with dogs in that situation. I live on site at a very, very busy boarding kennel. And there are times where I have to go in with dogs and I have to go and get leads off dogs that are trying to, you know, tail my staff up. Mm. Only happened the other night. You know, I was literally sitting down for dinner with Narelle. The phone rang and one of the girls said, Glenn, we've had a late arrival. It's a labradoodle of all types of dogs. It's in the kennel and it will not let us get the lead off it. And we can't let it stay there with a the lead, you know, like it's a choke and danger hazard, but it will not let us get in there. It let us walk it into the kennel. As soon as we put it in there, it turned dark and tried to bite yeah. and everything like that. I mean, I went down and tried to encourage the dog to come over. It wasn't having a bar of it, but it was going to towel me up. Mm. So it took me every trick in the book to be able to calmly get this dog to calm down so I could get the the lead off. And I had to do it with a pole. Mm. Like I could not put my fingers in there because the dog was going to towel me mm. up. So it's an occupational hazard. I know we're right off track on top of our topic, but it was just making me yeah, think. Yeah, she's that, definitely not going to play this to her husband. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but that's sort of the inevitable outcome eventually, right? Everybody gets bitten eventually. That's sort of. It's an occupational hazard. Yeah. Electricians get zapped, plumbers get covered in shit, and dog trainers get bitten. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, sort of back on topic a little bit. Mm. I think if you consider it support, like, and I do, Jane is super supportive of me and what I do. And the way that she provides that support to me is not being involved. It's affording me the time and opportunity to do the things that I want to do. Yep. And I try to do the same for her in the things that she wants to do. 
you know, again, sort of it's our personal business, but it's not personal. Like we can't talk about it, but she wants to get back to work. She hasn't worked in ages because she, she had to stop working before Axel was born and hasn't been out. We tried to put him in daycare. He got COVID the fucking first day he went and mm. then gave it to all of us. And then three weeks later, he went back and got sick again. And so, <laughs> yeah, we're just we're like, oh, fuck that. And mm. and then, you know, like getting her body back to the point where she can even tattoo. Like tattooing is a physically very, very hard job. And I'm sure that people are going to be kicking their dashboards hearing a man say this, but also being pregnant is fucking torture on a body and giving birth is torture on a body as well. So just sort of getting back to the point where she can even do it has been really hard. Mm. So that pillar has been missing for her, right? And she's got the family piece sort of all the time, but that work is missing. And so she's got a hobby. She does like cool little art stuff, but it's not work. And she really wants to get back to that. And for me to then complain about like, oh, you know, you don't help me train dogs or you don't supportive of me train dogs. She's incredibly supportive of that, but in a way of providing me the opportunities to do it and picking up the family slack that I leave when I'm not there to do that. And as well as, you know, the opportunities to pursue my hobbies and stuff like that. And you're the same as me, the amount of dead equipment that you have in your house of, <laughs> of stuff that you were super passionate about, did all the research so you had to buy the best one and you used the shit out of for 12 months. I can't even remember the last time I turned on my smoker, you know, like it's, it, but I was all about that shit. I was smoking. You, you used to bring meat around here for, yeah. for, for us I've had, to I've been, I've been through two phases of that. You yep. know what I mean? I've, yep. I've, I've been oh, in the Oh, the Traeger phase yeah. as well, yeah. Well, so I had the, the big stick burner when we first met that I yep. used to bring meat all the time. And then I got into the Traeger. Your opening line for that too was hilarious because Pat used to come up and goes, I want to put my meat in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but I used to, I, I actually do like doing that quite a lot Yeah. um, yeah, cooking up huge cookups and taking it to people. I love doing that. But it's just the time to do it. Yeah, having the time to do it. And is, you're is. absolutely right. Like, I mean, even this house, it's just not a house where you go home and, and just live in and relax all the time. Like there's a podcasting room, there's yeah. a guitar room, and there's a canine suticals room. Yeah. There's a couple of bedrooms here, but every other space is filled with, yeah. you know, some – even my guitar thing got out of hand, you know. Like I now have six guitars, yeah. seven, seven guitars. <laughs> You know, and I still can't play guitar very well, but I had to have seven guitars and I had to research all of them and find out about all the gear. I even bought, speaking of, I bought a speaker yesterday. So I bought this speaker called an FRFR speaker, which I did a lot of research on it and I had to have it. But I literally did 20 hours of research on this speaker, listening, finding out the frequencies, why I had to have it, how it was going to fit into my effects modulator and everything like that. And all of the people said, if you've got an effects modulator, you've got to have this specific speaker, Mm -hmm. you know, and then somebody else goes, oh, yeah, that speaker's good, but it's a bit bassy, so I use this one. And I thought, yeah, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you not confirm my bias? Exactly, exactly. I think that you and I both, your actual hobby is having hobbies. Yes. <laughs> is, is, is keeping occupied. Yeah. Is yeah. taking, is learning, digesting, implementing. Running long enough so the demon doesn't catch up. Because <laughs> if you ever stop, <laughs> the those, spider. those demons will catch you. Mm. If you ever look at that spider, it will bite you. Yep. I don't know sort of if there is much more to say on the topic. And I think like from us, I think that it's definitely worth talking to Birdie mm, about I, um, I like supportive relationships and that sort of thing and within the dog industry. But my advice to people and like I really truly I mean it is that you can't put all your eggs in one basket mm. and, and take it from someone like, you know, I had never to get even more personal. Like when I realized I had to leave the army, 
I don't think I've ever sort of really vocalized how devastating that was to me because I, I, I had not considered that. Like that was just not in the stars. I was never going to not leave the army. I was going to stay in the army till I was an old man and they forced me to retire. Like that was mm. the plan. And then, you know, to be told through no fault of my own, like you can't do this anymore, you're done, it was devastating. Devastating. And to the point where I was like, but I don't have anything else. I don't know who I am if I'm not this. Mm. And had I not had those two other legs to hold me up during that period, then it would have been catastrophic for me. The issue is I've seen come and go and usually by their own hand is people who are in the same circumstance as me and didn't have those other two pillars. And so that's my concern when I see people that are going all in on everything at the cost of their family relationships, at the cost of their, you know, other personal relationships, mm. at the cost of their own hobbies, yep. going in on on dog training in that way. I worry because it may turn out awesome and they have a wonderful time and it might be fantastic, but through no fault of their own, you could lose that and then you would have nothing. That's what I mean about that trail of wreckage behind you that you, yeah. when you turn back to look at and say, where is everyone? You burn them. Yeah. You've set fire to those bridges a long, long time ago. Yeah. Some people might forgive you. And I was fortunate that I did have some long lasting friendships and I had people that were very supportive and came back and, you know, like said, welcome back. Nice to see you again. It kind of felt odd at the start because I kind of thought I'm starting this relationship all over again. Like things have happened in their life that I haven't been a part of. Mm. New people have come in. Some of these people have had children and I didn't even care about it. I didn't want to care about it. They were not as important as some of these other hobbies to me. And I kind of thought to myself, that's what I didn't want to do. Mm. That's what I didn't want to do. So I'm I'm a little bit more conscious of that now. I'm going to bleep her name out. I spoke to the other day mm. and she was talking to me about some of the hardships she's going through with her work at the moment and she was really tentative about making contact with me because she kind of thought you know like I've suggested on the podcast before that I'm busy and I don't really want to get involved in bits and pieces but that's not what I want from people I don't want them to think that like if they want to say hello to me or anything like that that I'm too busy for them or I'm not in a position to take five minutes to be pleasant or being part of the community that I know so well. Your seminar, I was fucking devastated I had COVID there. Mm. I hadn't seen a lot of those people. I was really looking forward to just sitting in a room watching you work and saying hi to these people and having a relationship, you know, having a hug with a few people. I miss them all. Like it was fucking horrible. That was an absolutely fucking horrible experience. I just want to circle back to something which you talked about before because I kind of interrupted you during that story and I think it's important that we finish talking about it. From perspective that I saw, when you and I were doing the first course with Bart and we were travelling around a little bit together and I stayed at your place during that week and mm. we were kind of really getting to know each other as well, you know, like things happen. And I remember you telling me about your army days and, I mean, we talked about them, you told me stories about them, I'd heard things about, you know, like snippets of things that you were doing. But then I heard you talking about when that was happening to you, how you were just being discarded. And I could hear pain in your voice. Like I could hear you talking about, I've done this job. I put my life literally on the line. I've traveled to other countries. I've helped people in dire situations. And now that I've injured myself, I'm useless to them. And there's another wolf on the hill now. So I'm literally being kicked off the hill. Mm. Fuck, that was hurtful to hear that. You know, yeah, like dude. I came home and told Norell, I said, fucking hell, Pat was telling me a bit about his story. And I said, I don't know how he doesn't burst into tears talking about it. Cause <laughs> I said, I was struggling listening to him talking about it. I said, it was really distressing to hear that. I think 
there's a lot of layers to that. And I think there's the problem of sort of who am I if I'm not that? That's an issue. That's the Kung Fu Panda thing. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah. But I think what I really, really understand very well now, and I didn't then, was that the army is a really big machine that has to keep moving. Yeah. So when I first broke my back, I was put onto a critical skills wave. So I stayed in the army for like four years, still with it mm. broken. And the issue was the CO actually at the time, who was a, a pretty good friend who, who signed off on it. He said, mate, we're going to sign you on a critical skills waiver, which means we're going to keep you even though you should be kicked out. If it weren't for my rank and skill set and what I did, I would have been kicked out of the army. Yeah. Like straight away. Well, you get 12 months from your injury to sort of get your life together and then you're out. And he actually said to me, he goes, you need to understand this is actually like going to reflect very poorly on me. He said, by signing this, I'm admitting that you're irreplaceable in the role that you do. Mm-hmm. And and that's not what they want to hear. He, well, he goes, mate, like the reason – and the reason I was – and it, in that moment I, it, it was true because the guy who was meant to replace me got killed in action. So like it, I worked within a very specific niche – and Todd was meant to replace me. He got shot. And then we started training another guy. I won't say his name because he stayed in, but mm. he got he got shot and lived, but then was out of action for quite a while. So I really was quite irreplaceable. And I said to him, well, fuck you, because I am irreplaceable, right? Yep. So you have to sign that. And he did, but then every year it has to be re-signed. And every time they were like, you know, this is a big deal. You don't get it because you just get to carry on doing what you're doing here. But it was when I said I didn't want to do that job anymore that I wanted to do the dogs full time within the army. I was like, because I was kind of had my, I was in two worlds and the the job that I was in, I, you know, I didn't want to continue doing that for the rest of my life. Mm. And I said to them, I will stay in this unit forever and I'll run the dog cell. I'll let me do that. And they were like, but the thing is you're not critical. It was the truth. It was absolutely the truth. And they're like, we will keep you in that other role as long as you want because you are critical and you you are at this time irreplaceable and we're happy to keep you there. You can perform the role and the function fine because in that space I you know, wasn't banging in, I wasn't wearing body armor, I wasn't doing that kind of stuff, right? So I could do it. But there's like, they're like, you're not. You're not irreplaceable in the, in the dog space. We, we can get someone else to do it. And I was like, but who? And they, you know, and I was like, he's not going to be able to do it. And they said, but he can do it adequately. He can't do it anywhere near as good as you. We know, but he can do it. And mm. he's, he's the one that's going to do it. Mm. And even like that dude, again, I won't say he's that, he was supportive. He was like, I don't want to do this. Let Pat stay and run it. And they're like, we can't, it's not how it's going to go. And I remember saying to the CEO, I said with fucking tears in my eyes, please. And he's like, no, nah. but you realize later that's the only play. Mm. Fucking winds like a big girl, but oh, mate, it's hurtful stuff. But it had to happen, and mm. I've seen it happen to friends of mine still. Yeah, and you're like, oh fuck, I can see what you're about to go through, but mm. there's nothing like because the army has to keep moving. Yeah, <laughs> that's harsh. But anyway, it worked out for the best. I'm, I'm glad I'm not in the army now, mm. and uh, like it, it definitely is not. Well, look who you become because of it. Yeah, you develop that third leg very well. Yeah, mate, to be honest, that's a testimony to the character and the strength of who you are. And, you know, like when you're talking about who am I, you said the other day in the show, and I know you say this jestfully, but you said the word, you know, like I'm just a moron or something like that, but you're one of the least moronic people that I consider. (laughs) And I say this with love and affection for you because I think you're a great person and you've been an amazing influence on my life as well and lives of hundreds of people around the world. You know, I I see how people light up when you talk and when you do things and what you've shown people and what you've created because one thing about you is when you invest, you invest with such commitment and passion. This is why I said to you a while ago when you were talking to me about your 
dismay about being in this industry. And I, and I've said to you, you can't leave. You're too important for it. And I'm not saying this on here just as a lip service. I mean that intently. Like there's a lot of people in this industry who are like cockroaches. You just can't kill them. They won't go, you know, <laughs> and they will never go. Like they'll always find a way of coming back. I know that sounds awful and people are probably going, oh, Glenn, that's really mean. But there are people in this industry who are just wrong for this industry. They're the ones who create the problems. They're the one, the reasons why we keep facing tool bands and stuff like that. Like they're just terrible people. Really, they are. Mm. And I'm sure they're nice in other areas, but they're not good for this industry. You, my friend, are exceptional for this industry. Mm. Like you and people like you, your pillars in this community, like your people who need to become elders in this community, you know, and all communities need those type of people. You need people who care. You need people who exhume passion for this industry and want to see right for it and and are balanced in the head, you know, who look at things objectively and, and aren't impulsive and don't sit there and just make rash, judgmental decisions. And this is why I'm saying you have taught me to be a better man in ways like this, where I can be more steadfast in some of my decisions now, where I have been impulsive and I have been impatient and I have lost my temper on things and and thought I need to exact revenge against things, where now I think more, now I need to think about it. I need to be a bit more clear visioned about what I need to do and I need to count to 10 a lot more. And it's because of you, my friend. You know, like you're one of my influences in that area. Like you're much younger than me, but fuck, man, you've got a very old head on young shoulders. Well, that's very uncomfortable to hear. <laughs> Thank you very much. It, it might be uncomfortable, but it's <laughs> it, it's it, it's true. And no, I appreciate and, it. And, I, and I mean I, it. I it comes from the heart. I yeah. mean it. Thank mm. you. Thank yeah. you very much. Pleasure. Oh, fucking hell. What a big episode. What a big circle jerk. Yeah. Oh, mate. Mm. It's, it feels amazing. <laughs> Thank you very much. Talk about that third leg. <laughs> I think that's as much as we can say about it. Like going forward, we're out of time, but I think another th- interesting thing to cover within this same space would be, you know, living with and training dogs in the house with people who are not as interested in it as you. Because we've talked about like, you know, bringing people into your passion of doing it and how that's maybe not the right thing to do. But I think the practical side now would be interesting to talk about in that, you know, like how do you actually in the real world pull that off when you have a dog that you want to train to a really high standard. And we all know that that takes 24 hours, seven days a week of managing the dog in the correct way to have the dog act in the right way all the time. You know, living with the dog in a particular way when you live with a person who doesn't want to live with the dog in that way. That's probably the next piece of this that could be unpacked. Yeah. And I think that's a good place for Bertie to sort of jump in, in that conversation. Just in closing, I kind of think to myself that there are a lot of people that I know who you know, have been obsessive about showing dogs and their partners are not interested in any way, shape or form, but they will come down and they will sit there and they will drink a, a, a couple of beers and they will have a chat with other people there. They're not interested in the dog showing. They wouldn't know what they're doing there, but they're just coming down to say, look, I'm not interested, but I'll come down and mm-hmm. be with you for the day if that's important to you. And I think sometimes with partners, they might be able to say things like that. Like, I'm not interested. I don't want to know anything about dog training. It's not my bag. Yeah. But how can I be supportive yeah. of something that you're very passionate about so we can stay connected to each other? But then that's got to go the other way. You've yeah, got to say exactly. to your partner, let's have date night. You know, my dog friends and my social media, just for a night, we shut it down and you and I go to the movies, we go out for dinner, whatever, whatever it is, it's just you and I, we shut the world out and only you and I exist. Mm. And I think sometimes 
you've got to look to the person, as you said before, with Jane and I, and Narelle is an amazing rock for me with things like that, for all the crazy schemes that I'm coming up with and all the things that I'm doing and demanding that we have a podcast room in the middle of our house <laughs> and all that sort of thing. Narelle never puts a barrier in front of me. Yeah. She asks me questions about it and I tell her what I'm doing and how excited I am and she just says to me, go for it. She knows it's important to me. She doesn't know whether it's going to last. Not like the whole guitaring thing when I came home with guitars. She goes, how long is this going to last before it goes out in the garage? Well, look, two years into it and I'm still doing an hour of practice a night, you know. Mm. Every now and then she hears me play a tune and she'll come in and go, oh, that sounded really good. Nice. And it's nice, you know, like it's nice that she believes in me because you never know, tomorrow I might go, fuck this. Mm. You know, it just drives me mad. My fingers hurt every night and it still drives me mad. But right now she's been supportive of me and if I want to get another guitar, I go and sit down with her and I go and tell her about it <laughs> and I go and sell it to her. And then she goes, do you need it? And I said, I don't need it. I just want it. Yeah. And then she goes to me, well, think about it first. Don't rush off and just buy it. Like you've got six other guitars. What's this other guitar going to do? And I said- It's going to fill that seventh rack. Well, that's right. <laughs> and I've got a, already got a T-shirt that says, he who has the most guitars wins. Yeah, yeah. So she looks at that regularly when I wear it around the house and just shakes her head at me. Yeah. Anyway, I guess that's it for me. I'm not the oracle of all relationship knowledge. Nah, me neither. Like all I can talk about is past experiences, things that I've learned and I've seen and observed from other people, conversations I've had with people about obsession, where things went really well with relationships and where they didn't and relationships changed. You know, and I know people who changed direction with one partner and went into a direction with another partner and yeah, everything seemed to make complete and utter sense for them. Like a friend of mine said, the first marriage is just a warm-up. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he was only six or seven, so he probably wasn't a good person to take advice from. I started this show with a saying that I like, which was absolutely ridiculous but hilarious to me. I'm going to finish it on a saying, another saying which I really like and admire and I think of often. Yeah. It comes from Mike Tyson. Okay. Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I think about that regularly, and that can be a metaphor, it can be physical, mm-hmm. but it's very true. I've done the same in boxing. I went into boxing when I was a kid and I thought I'm going to be an amazing boxer until I got hit hard by somebody in the ring and I thought, I don't want to really do this. I don't want to have my brains punched in like this every night. I did it for six years, you know, like I was pretty obsessed with it for a period of time. But I thought I'm not skilled enough to be a high-level fighter. I'm not committed enough to do this. Like some of these pit bulls in here that are, they don't seem to feel anything. I felt it every time (laughs) I got hit. And I I kind of thought to myself, you know, like it's not a career that I want to do. I just want to do it for community and health things. I stayed in it, you know, like I love training with my friends and sparring with them and supporting them and helping them grow in their careers. But I realized for me, it was just making me a better fighter but I was never going to be, a, you know, like a high-level fighter. Mm. My, my trainer disagreed. He thought, I was being, he thought I was lazy. He said, you've got skills to do it, but, you know, like I, I don't know why you don't want to take it on. I don't want, know why you're going further, but it's got to ring a bell in your head sometimes. Mm. Mm. All right. That's I, it mm. for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, tell people. Just tell someone else. Just do it via a little comment on something. Maybe do a line of those. I like it when I see people recording 
us talking bullshit while they're what, doing their Instagram along? story, just walking along, playing it out of their speaker. Get yep. one of those Bluetooth, you know, like a boombox. That's probably a thing someone could do. Mm. Like an 80s style boombox carried around, on, like cut your hair into a flat top, yep. wear a white sort of wife beater singlet and fluoro shorts, <laughs> get fluorescent wristbands, yep. socks that you pull up past your sort of ankles there with your pumps on. And a sweat band walking down the street with the boom box on your shoulder, just with our stupid voices blaring out of it. I've got a great one. What about if you're in a urinal and it's one of those. <laughs> you always try and take <laughs> this to the urinal. <laughs> and you're in a, like a, one of those ones where the individual ones, not like the long trough, right? right? They're right. individual ones. Yeah. And you've got to have like your AirPods in or something like that. Yeah. And then you start peeing on somebody else's foot. And then just when they get really angry about it, it's just saying, oh, look, I was just listening to the canine paradigm. It I, was- don't, I, don't, I don't suggest that. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't support you. You can't there, support so that? I can't support you. Okay. Uh, so find some way of uh, sharing the word. Probably well, just told like- people to stand up on the bonnet of their car and stuff like that. In yeah, it. that's different from peeing on someone's foot. What if you get arrested? For peeing on their foot, for sure. That's, yeah, that's- or standing on the bonnet of your car. And ah, that, everyone will love that. Oh, of course. It'd be like I've seen in a movie. It will. All right, uh, just find some way of sharing it around. That would be that would be a really big help. Thank you very much. You oh, to... When you go to the States, you're mm. going to take over a shitload of clickers. Oh, yeah. Because okay. there's been people who have been saying, how do we get these? Well, you'll be at ICP and there'll be hundreds of people there. Yes. Pat's going to be taking over a swag of clickers. You'll have to beep this out, maybe this whole section, go for a long series of beeps, mm. but we should get the Remember we talked about Oh, yeah, you're obsessed beds? with those things, aren't you? Yeah. Well, yeah. I just think promo-wise, no one's ever done it in the industry. Yep. yep. So beep out what thing I said. Yes. But I think we should do that. Okay. It was going to cost quite a bit. They were about a two bucks each or something. Yeah, like we'll that. take some clickers and yeah, take okay, some of those over. Yeah. All right. I'll be there with those. Okay, cool. More stuff to put in my bag. Yep. All right. Patreon, just jump in. Pay some, like, three bucks. You just heard a grown man nearly cry. I had to suck it up. So, like, that's worth three bucks. Mm. You, you can, you can. It was genuine too. I was sitting across yeah. from you. Was, that's a shitty I period to, of my life. Had to share it. Mm. So, anyway, jump into Patreon. Three bucks a month there. Get you some like extra info, backlog of stuff. Ten mm. bucks a month. Get you access to the live stream. I got to set up one of those. I feel like I might have missed last month. I'll make up for it. I promise. I'll do something. Yep. What else? You could pay as much as you want there. You could you could give us tons of money or you could just give us none. That's mm. fine. You could just listen for free, whatever you want. Yep. Another way to support the show is Teespring or Spring. Just buy some cool merch. There's water. Uh, there is no water bottles. bottles. There's hats and underpants and whatever. Yeah. Tapestries. And tapestries. Don't forget the tapestries. Yeah. And if you want to get in touch, the best way to do that is jump into the discussion group. It's a really good group. Like there's a lot going on in there. There's a lot of people enjoying wonderful conversations with each other. A guy on TikTok actually today suggested people go into there and and I'd seen him, he'd tagged me in a couple of things on TikTok in the past and I hadn't really looked into his account very much, but he's got like nearly a million followers. So we should expect a bit of an update. Uh, <laughs> what's that for? A guy called, um, what's his name? Canine Merrick. He's a police dog handler with his dog. He's got like 800,000 followers or something oh, on TikTok. Oh, does he tag us on there, does he? He tagged me, yeah. Because I, I don't really I don't really use TikTok. I just mm. post some stuff and I think I'm going to start because I looked at him and I was like, oh, fuck, thank you. I appreciate that. I didn't mm. realize that people were doing that. So thank you very, very much. Yeah, I've got a TikTok account, but I've got like five videos in there and yeah. I haven't really done anything. I, I'm old school with that sort of thing. Like that's for the hip kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, jump into the discussion group, like Canine Merrick says that you should, mm-hmm. and there's some wonderful discussions going on in there. It's where we got the topic for today, yep. which we're going to explore even further. But if you want to tell us something individual or personal, you should send us an email. We are info at the canineparadigm.com. Goodbye. <laughs>